I'm Maxwell Suzuki, and you're listening to the Passengers Proscast. I'm Max Suzuki, the prose editor of Passengers Journal, where our mission is to publish compelling art that is necessary rather than desired. You're listening to the Passengers Prosecast for Volume 4, Issue 3, where we discuss what makes the prose featured in our most recent issues so compelling and necessary. Today, I'm joined by a special guest, our assistant fiction editor, Holly Allen. Say hello, Holly. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you for joining me. So we have two stories to talk about. The first is The Gift by Elizabeth Christopher. And let's hear a little excerpt right now. My mother came from a long line of potters, Grisina said to him as she stroked Alexandra's hair. She told them about the factory, about how when her mother had a chance to leave Poland, she didn't take it. Not even the pool of motherhood had been enough. When word came, they were coming for them. My father ran into the woods with me. My mother went to protect her pottery. Her husband looked at her, pushing his wire-framed glasses up the bridge of his nose. No one said anything for a few moments. Damn, Nazis, the partner said, shaking his head and taking another mouthful of soup. Grisina looked at her husband. He tilted his head at her in a way that said, Go easy on him. He's just a boy, after all. What does he know about what's an appropriate thing to say about such horrors? It wasn't the Nazis who shot her, Grisina said. It was our own people. They betrayed us to save themselves. Great. Now that you've heard a little bit of the gift, let's hop right into it. So this piece is partially a ghost story, partially a family story, those are like kind of the main draws. What what kind of drew you into this piece, Holly? Well, for me personally, so my grandmother is from Poland. Not the same location that's referenced here in the story, but for me, anytime I see, you know, a fiction piece and there are Polish immigrants or Polish Americans, it immediately reminds me of my family. So I guess I have more of a personal attraction to this piece, or that's what originally drew me in initially. But reading forward this sort of conflict with conceptions of femininity, what it is to be American, et cetera, sort of kept me reading. But I don't want to I don't want to go too far. So I guess what were your initial thoughts uh, with this piece or what drew you into it? I think for me, what kind of drew me in was the way Grisenia, uh, how her, her family sees these ghosts. Everyone in her family sees these ghosts. And yet she doesn't really want to acknowledge it and doesn't really want to be a part of that. And I I found that to be fascinating because, you know, there's this long line of a family coming and immigrating from Poland during World War II. And there's almost kind of a distancing from that history. And you can kind of see that from the way she doesn't really want to acknowledge the ghost, tries to close her eyes and also is kind of hesitant around the people that she's around. I think there's one section that talks about, quote, she stopped cooking the old foods, the kielbasa, the pierogies her grandmother had made her every Thursday. And so it's kind of a way that she's distancing herself from these moments, maybe because they're too hard to emotionally wrap 
her head around or because she's onto a new chapter. So I think that's that's what drew me in is the way this history is conflicted in in the main character. Yeah, very well said. And that's um, that conflict is pretty apparent from early on, but it's interesting how it's sort of one element of the conflict will be, you know, interlaced with another. So for example, like early on in the piece, we're told that Grajina is attached to this pottery that she brought from uh, her mother's pottery specifically that she brought from Poland or that they brought over from Balasławiec. And it seems like she really goes out of her way to ensure that it's kept in good condition, that it's pristine. But it's also mentioned by her daughter that she seems to hate it, um, despite that she's keeping dust off of it. She's sort of displaying it. So there's clearly this conflict with her own culture and her own history where we get it sort of bit by bit throughout the story. We're told about the pottery dish in the very beginning. Then we're told that she is trying not to break it. Then we're told that she's cleaning it. And yet she has a strange conflicting relationship um, where she claims to not like it. Another interesting element in, with regards to that history, the family history and the culture is just um, the naming in general. Like we've already been saying, the the main character's name is uh, Grazina, which is obviously a, a Polish name. Um, not a super common one, but very like iconically Polish. I think it was actually coined by a famous Polish poet or something like that. Hmm. Um, and yet her daughter's name is Jennifer, I believe. Which is yeah. a very, very American, I don't want to say average, but it's a common American name, right? It's clearly not a Slavic or, or a Polish name. Um, so clearly there's that disconnect where she's chosen to name her daughter something very, you know, intelligible, something very American. And I think that process mm-hmm. of Americanization or what it is to be American or the pushing away of that old history is pretty interesting and apparent throughout the piece. Yeah. And it's interesting also to see then Jennifer naming her kid, uh, what, what is it, Alexandra, which mm-hmm. has like a unusual way of spelling, right? Yeah. Is that is that more uh, Eastern European Polish kind of thing or... Is that is that more like Americanized? Um, I'm, I'm interested. No, actually, you're you you're spot on. That spelling with the K instead of the X, because of course in in America we typically see the X, like Alex with the X, mm-hmm. Alexandra. With the spelling with the K is the Slavic spelling. So if you were to meet a Polish uh, woman named Alexandra, it would be that spelling. So it's quite interesting. It's like the daughter has taken back up that mantle and has chosen to employ a a Slavic name or a Polish name for her child, mm-hmm. even though, you know, we're, we're pretty much uh, told or it's shown rather that Jennifer's partner is, is not Polish. Right. So it's clearly doesn't have to do with that. It's just a returning to that culture or history. Yeah. 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 I like the, I like the way um, the, the name almost like it teeters from one, one aspect of, you know, culture back to American, back to Polish. So that was really interesting. I was also interested in the way we don't really get the name of the partner. It's just named the partner, right, if I'm not mistaken. So that was one aspect. Um, the other aspect I was kind of interested in was the the section that we kind of highlighted that we had read over. And this is a moment with uh, the the main character, with Alexandra, with basically the whole family not only kind of discussing the the history of the pottery but also 
the history of the family and nearly like the internal conflict within that culture. And we learn first that the main character hasn't kind of revealed the, the story of how she had left and also who had killed uh, her, her grandmother. And so I, I found that to be not necessarily a reveal, but it was unexpected. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I think that a lot of things are handled quite well in this piece because it would it would be easy to make that. As you said, that's not exactly a reveal, right? I mean, it's information that we're given, mm-hmm. but but the real like omphalos of the piece, the big sort of action in the piece happens when Grajina's daughter comes back to sort of have dinner and, you know, Grajina's meeting uh, her grandchild, right? And Mm -hmm. this sort of interaction and some of the things that happen there, which I won't go too much into, uh, you know, uh, people should read it for themselves, but uh, that's sort of more the crux of the piece or there's a little bit more um, development there. And I think other sections of the story that could very well have taken over and become the the main crux of the piece don't. And they just add a lot of interesting nuance and play. Uh, for example, I know that early on, um, as you mentioned, we're told that um, Grajina's grandmother used to make, uh, you know, kielbasa and all these very traditional foods. But then we're told that mm-hmm. um, once she's in America, she started just sort of smoking rather than eating at times to avoid gaining weight or to keep her figure And so there's this focus on thinness. And then later on, Grajinas, when she sees her daughter again, she actually thinks, quote, the weight her daughter had gained looked good on her. Grajina thought as she ladled soup from her mother's tureen, she looked more settled, less wild, more like a mother. So even though there was this indication that she was struggling with thoughts of weight or body image, and it seemed like there was this negative connotation that was associated with Americanization or the American identity, then when she sees her daughter again, all of a sudden, you know, that's starting to evolve, right? So I feel like there are a lot of subtle Mm -hmm. themes that could very well have overtaken the piece or been some major thematic issue or reveal, but instead they just work really well with each other to sort of add nuance. Absolutely. Just as as a whole, I was a large fan of the the line work it, it has throughout. So there are some amazing lines for example, there's one line right here, quote, that was just the kind of American she would wanted to be, someone who'd crawl out of the line of fire to save herself, unquote. Or, for example, another one, her grandmother's words haunted her, why give away the milk for free? So th- those are very like poignant and very powerful and really leads into the main character can be seen and that kind of conflict. So... Big fan of the story. I really enjoyed it. There are hints of like ghosts, um, but it's not the the main item. And that's that's what I enjoyed. Do you have any kind of additional thoughts on that? No, I think what you said about the line work, though, is really spot on. There's some really beautiful passages in terms of being more slightly poetic or nice imagery. But even just the dialogue sounds believable and flows really well. Mm-hmm. And I suggest people read it. Great. Well, thank you. So now we'll be moving on to our second story, Unclaimed Bodies by Sadie Wade-Stein. Here's a little excerpt. The party's over. The ground outside has gathered almost a foot of snow, and Jude has the window cracked, letting in a bitter wind. Jude is reflective when he drinks too much and overheats quickly. 
I'm close to sober and now cold, too, but I don't tell him to close the window. I feel far away from him. Hours ago, Jude made each of our friends a whiskey sour as they filed into our undecorated living room. This is the first place we've lived together, and we have very little. Jude and I don't try to fill space. My mother doesn't approve of this, or of Jude, but he has been easy to build a life with, cold and unadorned though it may be. Are you going to be able to drive? Jude asks. He is not looking at me. I haven't had a drink in hours. It's snowing like hell out there. So now that you've heard a little excerpt, let's kind of hop in. So this story has a, I would say, kind of interesting title and starts in a very interesting moment. Um, I think what, what got me was how it's at the end of a party. They're going home, about to go home to this this farmhouse that they've basically started caring for. And uh, it's almost like in this like in-between and this like weird area between when things are over and then when something else is starting. Did you kind of find that like, I would say maybe liminality, strange and kind of help the piece? Yeah, I think that sort of liminal element, which is really the best word for it, really serves the piece really well because... I felt like I didn't really know where this piece was going at any given moment, right? We have these two individuals mm-hmm. who live, you know, together, kind of in the middle of nowhere um, in the winter, and their relationship is kind of a question mark, it seems. Why they're there a little bit is a little bit of a question mark if they're going to stay. And for mm-hmm. me, um, I feel like the piece really kept me on edge in this in-between space constantly with the language and the imagery. Uh, so, for example, at one point in the piece the secondary character um, or the partner of the main character is, it seems like moving in for a kiss or they're being romantic. But then the text says, Mm -hmm. quote, he opens his mouth wide as though considering it and then snaps his teeth shut, end quote, which is interesting. It's almost like there's this element of possible violence or this allusion to being bitten with the snapshot, which is quite a harsh, you know, descriptor. So it's really Mm -hmm. towing a line in a lot of ways, not only with the space, you know, this, this house, um, in this sort of cold or desolate environment and this relationship that's sort of a question mark, but even with the imagery, it's, it's sort of existing in a really interesting in-between space that at least for me just raised intrigue and made me want to keep reading. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think for this piece, what, often a lot of other pieces get wrong or maybe fumble is the way they hold back information. This piece felt like it did that well Mm -hmm. and its tension was used that way. Again, you don't really know essentially throughout the piece what Jude and this person's relationship will end up being. You don't know much of like outside of this moment in this car and then they are there and, and it's... It's interesting to see all the dialogue, you know, working really well, but not giving too much to us. There's not as much backstory Mm -hmm. or not as much previous information that we've gotten. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what worked really well in this piece. I also liked, as you were kind of mentioning that part of the, the dialogue, which holds it together really well. And there's one section that it goes, there's nowhere to go, he says, there's nowhere to go to get out of the snow. And I think that section kind of encapsulates 
this like feeling of like suffocation that not only is this relationship kind of suffocating, maybe the the car is suffocating, their situation is suffocating, and they're trying to get somewhere, but maybe it's never going to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I felt about this piece. And and yeah, so what, what are your thoughts on that, on the dialogue and the kind of holding back of information? Yeah, um, I mean, you pointed out really one of the major strengths of this piece, along with the liminality, is that it's difficult, I think, for some pieces to not give the reader too much information without leaving them feeling frustrated or confused mm-hmm. in a bad way, right? You know, if the writer doesn't, I guess, do their due diligence and set up a scene or, you know, give information, provide an inciting incident or context, it can be confusing in quite a bad way. But there's also such a thing as too much information, right? So you're just handing over too much exposition. And I think that in this piece, the areas that are gray just add interesting mystery. And the situation isn't, it seems anyhow, overly complicated. It's a situation between two people in a Mm -hmm. pretty desolate area. So I think it works because we don't have too many characters and it's not a scene that involves multiple complex relationships. We're just really honed in on this one setting, this one relationship. And so I think the mystery works. And in terms of the dialogue, because you did mention the dialogue, I think the dialogue works exactly the same way that the story structure does with the simplicity, right? So the dialogue is sometimes Mm -hmm. very straightforward and very simple and has this element of mystery where it's not giving you too much, but it works really well. So some sections of dialogue are the characters just back and forth saying one or two words to each other, but it works really well and ends up believable. So you even have a section where the narrator says, oh, right? That's just it, oh. Mm -hmm. And then the other character says, yeah, Jude says, oh. And that interaction actually adds a lot of weight to the previous part of their conversation, which you mentioned, and I won't go too much more into detail because I think that it is a really, it sets up some really powerful images. But I think it's difficult to do that, to have such short sentences and dialogue with so much open-endedness that functions so well. But I think this writer really managed to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just one other kind of thought I wanted to tack on here was I've heard that when people write dialogue uh, and write two characters talking to each other, both characters kind of have secrets that they're unwilling to tell the other. Mm -hmm. And we may not see those secrets. Maybe it's those characters' secrets that they'll never reveal or never show. And I think that kind of is displayed here. We may not know exactly what Jude is thinking, or we may not know exactly what the main character is thinking because their dialogue is kind of filtered through this idea that they're trying to hold a secret. But yeah, that's another piece that uh, we want to talk about and discuss in this issue. Uh, do you have any other kind of like final comments or any final thoughts for either this piece or the the previous one? No, I think these two pieces contrast really well in terms of one having a lot of backstory information, the other one being pretty light on it. And so I think that mm-hmm. this particular uh, volume or issue in general um, has a good variety. And so I think that regardless of kind of what a reader is looking for, they'll probably find something that works for them, which is great. Well, thank you, Holly. And thank you for joining us for the Prosecast. A special thank you to Buku Burrow for the music you heard on the show today. Their work is available across music platforms.
Please find the piece featured here alongside many more in our upcoming issue at PassengersJournal.com. Join us next month for a Passengers Poetry Cast, where members of our poetry staff will discuss what makes the poetry featured and our current issue both necessary and compelling. Are you interested in contributing to the journal or joining our team? Please find our open calls on Submittable and our staff application on the staff page of our website. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for all the latest passengers news.